So you have people there who basically, I think, you know, decided that uh, they had to make a stand at this time. Uh, as I walked around Hong Kong, it occurred to me, you know, I had something worth its weight in gold in my pocket, which was a U.S. passport. I had my ticket out. But these people are there. They're young. They have their whole lives ahead of them. And they don't want to live in oppression. They don't want to leave the West and join sort of the, the repressive Chinese board, if you will. You're listening to Code Red with Secure America Now, the largest national security grassroots army. Welcome to the Code Red broadcast of Secure America Now. My name is Alan Roth, Chairman, President of Secure America Now. Today we have as our guest Christian Whiten. Christian has served in the in various American administrations and foreign policy uh, positions of great importance, including uh, dealing with the North Korean situation. Christian is a popular face on television as he is a commentator on Fox News as well as other media outlets. Christian also writes quite a bit. He's the author of a book called Smart Power, which I recommend that everyone buy and read. And Christian, welcome to our Code Red broadcast. Well, thank you. Thank you for that kind introduction. It's great to be here. Uh, Christian, you recently were in Hong Kong. Uh, American news sources have been covering the situation in Hong Kong, which has been protests and most recently protests at Hong Kong's international airport, which has gotten violent. Can you give our listeners some background as to Hong Kong's situation with China, as well as what had, what triggered the, the most recent protests, which we are all now witnessing through television and other media. Right. Well, yeah, and I should stress that the vast majority of protests, some of which I attended earlier this month in Hong Kong, uh, are peaceful. It's gatherings of people who trend young but come from all walks of life. Uh, you have clerks, you have bankers, you have civil servants. kind of shocking because people who are usually are risk-averse and not getting into politics we're turning out of these things. Obviously, the cameras are going to be drawn to the violent confrontations. Obviously, there is some of that. We saw it at the airport, and you saw it with some of the younger students who were, who were confronting um, police and going to police stations. But by and large, this is much broader, much more peaceful. And the reason is, um, you know, Beijing has slowly been uh, boiling the frog, if you will, eroding the promises they made in the joint declaration with Great Britain in 1984 when they agreed to hand back Hong Kong in 1997, and also in something called the Basic Law, which is supposed to govern, you know, Hong Kong uh, after the handover. And in those promises, Beijing promised to uh, respect Hong Kong's high degree of autonomy, except that Hong Kong would be governed by Hong Kongers, 
and uh, also to have democracy with universal suffrage. That was supposed to occur by 2012. And Beijing has reneged on those increasingly. It subverted the process of, of um, democracy because the only people can run. It's a little bit like Iran. You know, uh, <laughs> you can run as long as you have the, the, the support of Beijing. So it's rigged. And it's basically you just had with a recent law that would have allowed extradition to the mainland, um, you had Beijing push too many times that this would import political repression from the mainland into Hong Kong. Basically, you know, if you do something that would be called considered treason on the mainland, they say, oh, we're going to indict you and you're going to get deported to the mainland and we're going to throw you in prison. So you have people there who basically, I think, you know, decided that uh, they had to make a stand at this time. Uh, as I walked around Hong Kong, it occurred to me, you know, I had something worth its weight in gold in my pocket, which was a U.S. passport. I had my ticket out. But these people are there. They're young. They have their whole lives ahead of them. And they don't want to live in oppression. They don't want to leave the West and join sort of the, the repressive Chinese board, if you will. If you put yourself in the shoes of the rulers of China, why is Hong Kong important? And I'll ask you to speculate as to what you think ultimately China is going to do if these uh, protests continue. You know, Hong Kong has always been important because, uh, and, and this is why even under its heyday, under Mao Zedong, China did not move to take it away from the British, uh, which they could have done, you know, since 1967 after Britain abandoned everything east of Suez, more or less. There was a minor military presence there, but they could have taken it anytime they wanted to. And they didn't because it was useful financially. It's been a conduit um, through which China uh, reaches the world and also uh, gets access to capital. And it's been useful to both the West and to China for that reason. That's what's at risk, actually. If they do make a move, uh, whether it's a PLA invasion, a People's Liberation Army invasion, a Tiananmen-style massacre, which I think is unlikely, or more likely an invasion by police from the mainland, um, paramilitary and civilian police, uh, that would put at risk Hong Kong's separate status. You know, we passed a law in 1992 that said that the handover is coming in 97, and we're going to continue to treat Hong Kong as a separate trade entity from the mainland as long as they adhere to their promises to keep it, you know, separate, to have it have, it have autonomy. And... Uh, Congress can always take that away if it wants to, if it thinks that Beijing has really subverted everything in Hong Kong. And so can the president, and there's also a law pending in Congress to, to make this even clearer. What I think is going to happen, you know, Xi Jinping, the Chinese leader, has really painted himself into a corner. Because if he moves aggressively into Hong Kong, he runs a risk of even more financial trouble, really the end of foreign investment in China, which has already been reduced because of the trade war. But if he lets it go on, it's this, it's this constant reminder of China's broken promises, and it's a constant reminder of dissent against the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah, in this case, it's just people in Hong Kong who have never really been under true CCP rule, 
Um, but I think we all know that people on the mainland would share some of these same aspirations for freedom. So I, I actually am optimistic. I think Xi, because he has so many trouble problems on his hand, he's losing the trade war, the economy is slowing down. I think he'll actually try and de-escalate and, and maybe assume he's going to handle this later when the spotlight is no longer on Hong Kong. But there's always a risk that he moves much more aggressively. Do you think that Americans should be paying more attention to what's going on in Hong Kong? Is there anything tangible that's at stake for the United States? And thirdly, do you think that the United States, what policy, if you were president of the United States, what policy would you promulgate in terms of how to deal with protests in uh, Hong Kong? You know, I think the president has, uh, he's gone through a couple of iterations, but I, I think where he is now is in a good place on Hong Kong. He just tweeted recently if President Xi would meet directly and personally with the protesters, there would be a happy and enlightened ending to the Hong Kong problem, I have no doubt. And uh, I believe it was yesterday, he said, I hope it works out for liberty. So previously, the messaging from the White House was, well, this is you know, an internal Chinese issue. We don't want to get involved because we're focused on a trade war. And I understand that. You know, Donald Trump does not run a human rights NGO. He, he runs a government uh, that has interests, economic and security interests that must come first. But um, well, I think we should pay more attention, and I think the administration is paying more attention because, um, you know, frankly, this is a great way to put pressure on our chief adversary in the world. Uh, what It's serendipitous that it advances human rights and things that we Americans believe in, um, but by uh, causing this crisis for the Chinese Communist Party, for the government, um, at a time when we're, uh, frankly, at a, a difficult point in negotiations and we're at loggerheads, you know, where they continue to militarize the South China Sea and challenge our, our, our presence in the Western Pacific. Um, so, you know, the inspirational argument is democracy surviving, freedom on display in Hong Kong, and, and that could spread to the mainland. Um, and the more, you know, if perhaps cynical but calculated view is this is good for U.S. national interest because, you know, essentially we have someone in our adversary's camp advocating for a very different political future. You, uh, I failed to mention in my introduction of you that uh, Christian is an advisory board member of Secure America Now. And as, and as someone who deeply cares about the security of the United States. You touched upon uh, China and, uh, and its role in the Hong Kong situation. Can you comment on the ongoing negotiations between the Trump administration and China? Do you have any sense as to what is happening? Has there been any positive signs? that uh, we're making progress, meaning that American interests are being furthered in these negotiations? Well, the trade talks, um, I think that they're interesting, and, and you know, clearly President Trump wants to leave an open door if China wants to be reasonable. Uh, but the you know amount of, of change that we are insisting on from China is significant. Peter Navarro, uh, who reports directly to the president, calls them China's seven deadly sins. It covers things like intellectual property theft, 
um, support for state-owned enterprises uh, that that makes what well, otherwise would be uncompetitive businesses competitive. Basically, handouts from China to governments run or to companies run by their cronies, and also um, the export of fentanyl, deadly fentanyl from China to the United States, which you know can be correlated directly with the deaths of uh, you know tens of thousands of Americans. It's it's quite startling. And so throughout these talks, uh, the president's team has insisted not just on buying more of our stuff and maybe uh, lowering the deficit a little bit, but on some structural changes and also the ability to reimpose tariffs if they don't comply, because China almost never complies with its agreements. It didn't comply with its agreements in Hong Kong. It didn't comply with any of the agreements to get that it made to get into the World Trade Organization in 2001. Uh, it promised President Obama to his face that they would not militarize uh, their manufactured islands in the South China Sea, and they broke that promise, promised Obama to his face they would stop cyber attacks on us, uh, and they broke that promise. So it's not trust but verify. It's sort of distrust and verify with the Chinese, and that's what Trump has stuck to. Uh, you know, going into the G20 summit in Osaka in uh, July, there was a lot of hope, a lot of hype that you know we were going to get talks back on track and forestall additional uh, tariffs. And, and uh, coming out of that, it looked like they were back on track, and the president um, held off for a while on tariffs, but then subsequently our negotiators met in Shanghai more recently, came back, reported that the Chinese are really just being intransigent. Uh, and that's when the president said, okay, we're doing tariffs uh, on, on, the, on sort of the other half of Chinese imports that haven't been tariffed yet. We're doing that September 1st. He since revised that to September 1st and December 15th to uh, allow U.S. businesses time to move their supply chains out of China, which is happening on a, on a very significant basis. If you look at the amount of investment in Vietnam as, as cheap manufacturing moves out of China to other places that are not facing U.S. tariffs, it's, it's a very impressive economic move. It's hurting China a lot. Um, but I think, you know, it's, it's sort of a stalemate, and I think the president realized this, he's tweeted this, the Chinese think they can wait him out. They mistakenly think the Democrat is, uh, you know, likely to win. I think historically that's unlikely. Uh, and regardless, they fail to appreciate this sea change in Washington, and you see it in the Congress of uh, changing from optimism about China to skepticism about China and, and recognition that they are, um, you know, perhaps our chief adversary in the world. It seems like that since the time when Richard Nixon opened American relations with communist China, that America has closed its eyes to many of China's negative actions, which directly affected the world, but specifically the United States of America, and also its internal barbarism when it shut down the protests in a very violent way at Tiananmen Square. Given this rather lengthy history of closing one's eyes to China's aggressions, do you think that this is the appropriate time for the United States to put a stop to that type of blind eyes, let them do what they want, you know, have a small protest, but let's not do anything significant. Uh, it seems like the Trump administration is saying, now's the time we have to change China's behavior. And the only way to do that is by standing up for what America believes 
in a very strong way in talks with China. Do you think this is the right time to do that? Yeah, you know, the right time I would have probably been 10 years ago. Um, I think when President Trump came into office, the, the feeling, and I remember hearing this from more than one uh, senior official at the White House, is you know, it's, it's now at a point where it's, it's now or never. I mean, I think people feel a little bit like the protesters in Hong Kong in that, wow, now that we have given every benefit of the doubt to this government. Um, and also, it just makes sense to reevaluate our approach. Uh, you know, if, if Richard Nixon were here today, I, I think he would be okay with the idea that you might reevaluate policy after 40 or 50 years, and that the entente with China uh, that made so much sense at a point in the Cold War where we were um, in a tricky spot, about to lose in Vietnam, um, an economic crisis, uh, where it made a lot of sense to try to divide two communist powers, divide China away from the Soviet Union, which required the Soviet Union then to worry a lot about China. And today the factors are, are very different. Um, you know, uh, we know that uh, this policy basically of, of thinking the best about China, the view that um, political liberty would inevitably follow economic liberty, all of that has kind of been disproven. And so, yes, I think that the time is overdue, um, but uh, still appropriate now to get tough uh, on China and to use tools that we know will work. So extracting promises, that doesn't work. Uh, talk, dialogue, international fora going to the UN, the WTO, the UN uh, Human Rights Commission, none of that works. What does work are tariffs, using our economic power uh, and other power against uh, against China. That's what's gotten their attention. Um, and if they want to make a deal that improves the terms of our trade, that's great. And if they don't, that's fine. We can punish them economically and diminish their ability to uh, make trouble for us and for other free uh, free nations around the world. Want to keep up with our efforts outside the Code Red podcast? Go like our Facebook page, Secure America Now. Follow us on Twitter at Secure America. And follow us on Instagram at Secure America Now. I want to switch uh, topics. Um, As we are speaking, as we are recording this podcast, the is a uproar over a decision by the state of Israel to uh, deny access to the state of Israel uh, to American congresswomen who are very staunch critics of the state of Israel and frankly would like to see the state of Israel disappear. Those are Democratic representatives, Talib and Omar. What do you think of the decision by the state of Israel to deny these congresswomen access? And before you answer that, let me just uh, share with you something you may not have seen. But uh, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, Democrat, uh, a news report is saying that she is slamming Israel's decision to deny admission to two Muslim American Congresswomen calling uh, this a snub um, uh, to them. What do you think of Israel's decision? Does Israel have a right to do this? Was it a good move, bad move? What's your thoughts? Well, 
Yeah, Israel absolutely has a right to do this, and and I think it was the right decision. Uh, Apparently, if you looked at their schedule, the proposed itinerary of these two Congress women, they were declining senior meetings, uh, meetings with senior Israeli officials, and uh, going to spend more time in um, Palestinian areas. If you look at their background, they're in favor of the boycott and the divestment movement. They are anti-Semitic. Um, extremists, uh, you know, Pelosi, it's sort of sad that she has to stand up for them since they've called her a racist and, and would like to, frankly, get rid of her as speaker and replace her with someone even more radical. And yet their power, despite having won extremely few votes in districts uh, are throwaway districts as well. Um, you know, uh, nonetheless, this is where the Democrat Party is today. You know, so the idea, I think some had was that, oh, well, they could go over and they'll see firsthand uh, that Israel is a free country that protects the rights of all of its citizens, including Arab citizens who can vote in its elections uh, and is in a very tough situation and doing the best job they can. But they would never go and report that. And if you look at the broader quartet, which includes Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, look at their own trip to our southern border where they came back to Washington and completely lied about what they saw, completely smeared uh, our uh, customs and border um, protection agency uh, officers who are doing their best in a very difficult job. So I think this was smart for Israel. Um, and, uh, you know, President Trump also requested this course of action. And I think it's good. I mean, we should we should put these people in their place and understand what they are, which are anti-Israel, anti-Semitic um, crazies who unfortunately have a lot of power right now over the Democratic Party. I think your point about their trip to the southern border and how they took the facts and they threw them out the window and uh, they used the trip as a platform for attacking uh, the administration and its immigration uh, policies. And um, I think I agree with you. I think the same would have happened if they were allowed into Israel. One more point that I would make is that Israel actually has a law on the books, and it has been used to stop supporters of the boycott movement, which seeks to destroy Israel from access into the country. So this is not just a move against these two congresswomen. It is a move against um, people who oppose the existence of the state of Israel. Uh, Christian, I want to thank you um, for once again giving us some extremely uh, important insights into major policies and news stories that are occurring as we speak, Hong Kong, China, Israel, Trump administration, and I look forward to having you as our guest sometime in the near future. All right. Well, thank you, Alan, and thank you for the work that Secure America now does. And It's great to be here, and we'll have to come back in the future. Excellent. Thank you for listening to Code Red with Secure America Now. We are the largest national security digital platform in the nation, dedicated to bringing critical security issues to the forefront of the American debate. For more information, visit our website at www.secureamericanow.org. Don't miss a single Code Red podcast. Subscribe today on Spotify, iTunes, or Podbean.
You can also find the Code Red podcast on YouTube. Search for Secure America and subscribe to our channel.